Big Fluff. You are so smug. You know that? You think the world revolves around you, don't you? That we couldn't possibly survive without the mighty and powerful Leonardo to guide us to our problems, huh? Well, I got a newsflash for you. We got along just fine without you. Oh, and this qualifies as just fine? Dressing up like it's Halloween every night? Risking the safety of our family? I mean, come on, what were you thinking? Don't push it, Leo. You can't leave home and come back expecting us to fall in line again like your little soldiers. Hey, I was training. Training to be a better leader for you. Why do you hate me for that? And whoever said I wanted to be led? I'm better off calling my own shots now. Get used to it. You aren't ready. You're impatient and hot-tempered, and more importantly, I'm better than you. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And we are better than you. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch malign movies and try to find their silver linings. <laughs> and this week, we are continuing the month of April, Fools, where we are watching uh, movies that have April O'Neil in them that are also happen to star the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know if there are movies with April O'Neil in them that don't star... The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, although I think Josh Cadernum might have alluded to some of those last yes, week. Yes, he might have implied that there's another April O'Neil out there that does movies that we're not watching for this podcast. We are watching privately, but not for the podcast. Not for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We may do a pornography month. Who knows? That would be fun. Those Axel Braun movies are just waiting to be yeah. reviewed. Uh, yes. Although, I don't. is anyone maligning them? Is anyone like, this story is not good? This doesn't... I barely finished. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we are continuing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles month by watching TMNT. Oh, is that how you say it? Have you been it's saying Timmons? 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 It's both. Both are acceptable pronunciations. Okay, so TMNT, uh, the unofficial fourth movie in the uh, live action franchise. It's sort of like tangentially related, but not really. Yeah, we should talk about that more I don't think this movie can decide if it's the fourth installment of that series or not. Like it, it seems... sometimes it thinks it's the third installment of that series. Yeah. And sometimes it thinks it's a completely different thing. I don't right. think it's, it's clear on, but there is definitely some references to things that happened in the live action movies. But we should also say that this is an animated film, which you informed me and I believe to be true is the first animated film. It is the first fully animated film that we've done for the podcast. Which we've done a hundred episodes previous to this. So I think for the next hundred episodes, they should all be animated. All, com all animated? Yeah. We already are screwing that up next week. But, <laughs> but after that, we're coming for you. But after you. that, then... Just wait, Aladdin and the King of Thieves. We're coming for you. A hundred and two Dalmatians. You watch out, Lion King one and a half. <laughs> There, we honestly could do a month of those like Disney sequels. We could do the Disney straight to video sequels for sure. And that, that is something to consider. I like that one. Anyway, but that's not what we're doing today because we are doing Tement. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, TMNT. If you're nasty. Uh, the, was it 2007 animated film? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's a little like 2009. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we, uh. one of us should have that in front of us, but. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. So there was a large gap between uh, last week's thing that we did, the, uh, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 and this. And yeah, it, it's referencing some things that happened in those movies. Shredder seems to be uh, died. It's unclear if it was a, a peer that collapsed on him after he became Super Shredder. Um, but yeah, there's definitely we're seeing some some mentions of things, but then we're also introducing more comic book Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle type stuff into the mm-hmm. world and uh, creating a whole new antagonist and adversary in the form of uh, Max Winter. Which was Homer Simpson's name that he changed to, right? <laughs> it should have been Max Power in this yeah. movie. Yeah, why not? Max Power. I, I feel like if anyone could pull off the name Max Power, it is Patrick Stewart. So. Yeah, that, that is accurate. He's the man with the name that you want to touch, <laughs> but you must not touch. <laughs> Can I ask a question that occurred to me listening to that opening clip? Has, has it ever been explained why Raphael has a different New York accent than all the other turtles? <laughs> Well, he's the only one that has a New York accent. But that's what I mean. Yeah, he thank you. I I phrased that bizarrely, but he has a New York accent and every other turtle has a flat, like neutral American accent. Right. They have that sort of sort of like mid Atlantic presenter. Yeah. yeah. The the upper Midwest or lower Midwest, I guess, uh, non-regional diction. Yeah. Um, It has never been explained. Well, although, you know, like Michelangelo. Definitely on the cartoon and a little bit here has a little bit of a SoCal accent because he's a party dude. He is a party dude. Yeah. I mean, outside of just using the uh, sort of surfer speak. That's true. There's definitely a little like he has that little up talk that's pretty common on the West Coast. Yeah. And he's a little slower. Like, yeah, he's got the like, hey, dudes. Like, hey. yeah, yeah, he's definitely like, I, I was, being, yeah, I was assumed he was just high all the time. Just just bake. Just a 14 year old turtle. Just hot boxing in his shell i mean i've seen the the pizzas that he's ordering like a lot of especially in the 80s cartoon i mean those it was insane pizza orders yeah. so they were they were very much like the sandwiches that shag and scooby used to make yeah so so i think that explains him maybe is that he's just really high but yeah so then you have leonardo and donatello have very just neutral american accents but then yeah you get Raphael and he's like hey i'm walking here who said i want to be leaded leonardo (laughs) it's like what is happening uh well you know what here's what it is is that he spent a lot of time listening to people speak with that accent and uh, working on it and practicing it and rehearsing it, and then uh, really put together an accent for the performance that he's really proud of, much like Lady Gaga did uh, for House of Gucci. <laughs> Does everybody also- like it a pizza? <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm Raphael. You know, in the sewers that I'm from in New York, there's a certain way everyone's talking. Like, I'm just imagining the, like, the one man, the one yeah. turtle show. Bye, like, you know, when I was back in uh, playing stickball on my stoop, you know, uh, uh, there was Reggie from up the block. And man, he sounded exactly like this. <laughs> and then he ducks under something and comes back up. <laughs> He's got like a backwards hat on. Yeah, I would watch that. That would be a great spinoff i think i would watch Raphael do a reimagining of uh the chaz palmentary one-man show a bronx tale 
100%. Maybe it is just that he, because he's the one, he's the loner that's always breaking off from the rest of the group. So maybe he's hanging out with more New Yorkers. It could be. And he's more of an observer of the human condition. Um, And it's, you know, I thought it was an interesting exploration into the development of accents where sometimes people from the same family can have different usually it's not as much of a completely different regional dialect that it's more of an idiolect that they have their certain way of speaking um it's but, also interesting because then yeah, i mean splinter has you know a, a japanese accent and you know that that happens a lot though with kids that are raised in a different country they'll, they'll pick up the regional accent but then you think about the isolation that they would have as kids like so they're not really interacting Right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's all very fascinating. I think a linguist should really do a deep dive on the Ninja Turtles and their accents. So uh, famous linguists that are out there listening, and we know that you are, uh, if you'd like to weigh in, um, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, please. Uh, anyway, so this is um, sort of a standalone movie, but also potentially having connective tissue to more movies that never happened yeah no i mean the the end makes it pretty clear i think they're really hoping for a sequel it seems like they're setting up the next movie that never happened because this which is interesting too because this movie didn't do terribly like and it was number one at the box office the week that it came out but like right it just i guess really wasn't you know sort of critically wasn't beloved and it just i know it was expensive to make too so i guess they just decided not to continue well, yeah, and I, I want to say up front before we get into maligning this movie, and there's plenty of reasons to deserve it. I liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. I liked it when I saw it, you know, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, and I like it now. 2007 was the correct year. It is probably objectively, if such a thing exists, the best of these movies that we're going to watch this month. Like, I think that's a safe. I'm inclined thing. to agree with that. Yeah, uh, it is just it's very well made overall like it's you know the the animation is pretty solid the anime there's some seams now like i mean compared to animation now it shows some cracks but i, I think the stylization works in the voice acting's good the there's some really fun stuff in it that we'll get to when we get to the like pivoting but like i think it is the probably the best uh yeah of the films that we we got you know and i think I think most people might even agree with that, except that because we didn't do the first live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I would imagine maybe those are the two that people are. Yeah. And I would even go as far to say and that this is the movie that of all of them probably knows what it is the most. And it's probably closer to the comic books than the other ones. Definitely it's... closer to the comic books than uh, Turtles 3. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. Secret of the Use was sort of this weird, like, trying to, like, find the Venn diagram center of the first movie, the cartoon, and the comics. And it didn't work. Yeah. But let's talk about this. So, um, this movie is set in New York City, but it starts in somewhere else that they're never really clear about, where there's this army of... The past. It's definitely the past. The past. Yeah. It's definitely the past, and definitely the distant past, uh, where there are these four generals, uh, three that wear animal costumes and one that doesn't. Mm -hmm. Or five generals, four that wear animal costumes and one that doesn't. And there are these monsters that are 
show up when these stars align and then the monsters got out and then for some reason four of the generals got turned to stone and the monsters just roamed earth for thousands of years yep. and that's the prologue mm-hmm. which, which is, is voiced by Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> yes and doesn't make a lick of sense and doesn't even really feel set up anything for the movie necessary because the monsters are there for sure but it's not it's not like you watch that prologue and then it's going to pay off. Just everything accomplished in the prologue could be accomplished by one sentence by Patrick Stewart of like, hey, there's these monsters. I'm going to, you know, like they, they exist and they're coming back. I mean, I guess you had to establish that he, he was one of uh, a cadre of leaders. But yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you, though, that I think the opening is a mistake. And then I also you have this opening that's weird and feels very far removed from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then the when we get into the part with them, it's already like a getting the band back together. The turtles have all been spread to the wind. And then it also makes another choice to have Leonardo be very removed, which is this another case where we don't know exactly where he is? Do they say the country or he's in Latin America? Yeah, it's very clear. I mean, there's a lot of people that are dressed like Fidel Castro, like chasing him. He's very much like fighting a military junta in some banana republic in nameless Latin America. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it wants to commit to countries. It might not even actually say New York City in this movie, but it's clear that it's New York, you know, like I think they might say it's New York City, but they should have just like, I mean, uh, the most recent Suicide Squad took place in a fictitious Latin American country. Yeah, yeah. And I and I'm not even saying that it's bad, but I guess I'm just making the point of it's been a long time since anyone had seen one of these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. You're you're trying to reintroduce the characters. I understand the instinct to do a band getting back together, but you're going from weird prologue in distant past to somewhere in Latin America and you're not even showing a turtle at first. There's just a lot of time spent where you're kind of as a viewer who knows that you signed up for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie going, is there going to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in this movie anytime soon? Yeah, it takes a long time to get to the turtle doing the turtle stuff. And I mean, there's a little bit of connective tissue because April O'Neil, who's somehow now an archaeologist. uh, Yeah, why not? Um, Which I know in the comics she wasn't a reporter, so I guess right in the comics she was Baxter Stockman's lab assistant at the beginning, and I didn't read them enough to know if she got other jobs afterwards. Yeah, but um, at least they like say that she was looking for one of the statues of the other generals, uh, and she's able to find it, and that also leads her to cross paths with Leonardo. Uh, She tells him that the turtles aren't doing good, so then we get a montage of the turtles not doing good. Which is worth, I think, slowing down a minute just to check in on what the turtles are doing. Oh, 100%. I wasn't going to gloss over that. Because, yeah, so we get probably the most A to A is that we find out that Donatello is doing tech support. in yes. Still in the sewer, but he's got like a headset on and he's just answering computer questions. Makes total sense. Yeah, and Michelangelo is Kawabunga Carl, a children's birthday party entertainer. And then uh, Raphael is a new... He's... Being a superhero, but he has a superhero suit. And I do you remember the name? I'm offhand. The Night re- Stalker. He's yeah. a like Richard Ramirez. <laughs> yes. So he he wears this full costume over his turtle costume to to disguise that he's a turtle, but also like that would be so bulky. 
Well, that's like there's a great scene later when uh, Casey Jones, voiced by Chris Evans, confronts him and says, yeah, of course I knew it was you. No one else looks like a metal turtle. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is it although apparently uh, it does full Leonardo, uh, it, you know, when he is At trying first. To, yeah. So but also maybe worth mentioning that uh, Casey Jones looks like Matt Dillon. That's just a fact that I'm putting out there for everyone. If you need a visual. Oh, my God. He did look like Matt Dillon. Yeah. So if you want if you want to picture what Casey Jones voiced by Chris Evans looks like in this movie, it's Matt Dillon. But yeah, and also it's just there's a lot of talk of Casey Jones and April O'Neil's relationship in this movie. Right. Being a little bit rocky, but also they're definitely together. Yes. Although I don't even know that we see them together very much in this movie. They kiss a couple of times and it's clear they live together and they there's a line in the, like the final fight scene uh, about them like, oh, we're now we're fighting together. Blah, blah, blah. Because he gets all horned up when he sees April in her, like, ninja costume that she has for some reason. And who wouldn't? Fair point. Yeah. And also, April O'Neil is voiced by Sarah Michelle Gellar in this. Uh, it's maybe worth mentioning that I, I was reading when I was reading stuff for this that they were not the original people to voice these characters. And uh, that it was, like, seasoned voice actors and then they replaced them with celebrities yeah which you can see too because all of the if you scroll through the imdb and you look at everyone who did additional voices in this movie it is just an all-star roster of all of our greatest voice actors like you get billy west in there which you can kind of pick up doing the newscaster you got phil lamar in there you got uh gray delisle griffin tara strong yeah, john dimaggio uh he he very clearly voiced the leader of the military junta in yeah, Latin he, America. I think DiMaggio has a character name, but everyone else, if you look, they literally are just credited as additional voices because all of the supporting voices are just done by all star like voice actors. Well, and I think it's a weird thing. And we'll address this uh, when we finish up the turtle, month, or, you know, April O'Neil month uh, is that like they with the exception of Corey Feldman. They've never cast celebrity voice actors as the turtles in any of these. Yeah, which is funny because it's like they know enough to know that that doesn't matter, that the turtles themselves are the selling point. But then they talk themselves into, you know, casting. And again, I, you know, nothing against Chris Evans or Sarah Michelle Gellar, but like, what are they adding? <laughs> you know, like that. The, Wait, the value added there, like this is Chris, this is a pre MCU Chris Evans. This is a distantly post Buffy Sarah Michelle Gellar. Right. Not to say that she didn't continue to work, and I'm I'm a I'm a fan of both of them, and I liked Chris Evans prior to his MCU work, and you know all of that. But yeah, I would say the only person, if you, Patrick Stewart's always value added. Well, because Patrick Stewart has a distinct voice that it like the voice informs the character. I understand why you would get Patrick Stewart because I mean he's a great actor in general but like you're casting Patrick Stewart to sound like Patrick Stewart I I honestly get that like just right. conceptually but I mean no offense again to and I like both of these people to Chris Evans or Sarah Michelle Gellar but they don't have voices that are distinct enough as the characters that they're adding anything that a voice actor wouldn't also bring to the character Right. And the only other one that I don't know if this counts, if this was always the intent or if it's celebrity casting, but casting Mako as Splinter 
is a work of genius. I think that was always there, though. Like that one feels like stunt casting, but like stunt casting that was done from conception, which it makes sense, which also, yeah, we should mention is the final voice. Right. Is the final voice performance of Mako, who was a great both screen actor and voice actor. He voiced Uncle Iroh on Avatar and did a bunch of other stuff and was in Conan the Destroyer, which we should do for this podcast we at definitely some should. point. But yeah, he uh, yeah he passed away like while making he, Yeah, He had finished recording most of his dialogue, and I think they used some of the other additional voices people to fill in a few of the gaps. Uh, but yeah, and so and the movie is dedicated to his memory. Yeah, so that's definitely worth mentioning. But that yeah, that one feels like I, I would imagine that like nothing that I saw seemed to indicate that they recast it. I think that he was probably always the choice. Yeah, and, and it's it's a great choice. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And again, it, it kind of like in the same way with Patrick Stewart, like I get why you're casting him. Like it makes sense right. for the character, for the voice. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that. Look, if you can get new Buzz Lightyear in your movie, you get new Buzz Lightyear in your movie, I guess. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just another instance of the liberal media trying to silence uh, conservative artists. Why there's a new Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> That's true. Anyways, um, so yeah, so. <laughs> I, can't. <laughs> I can't just, I can't take that bit. Like, I'm so... I love that bit and I wanted to just be with it, but I'm like, no, no, I don't want anyone listening to think this that's is sincere. wrong and we shouldn't do this. No, I'm not sincere about that. But uh, in the moment, I was like, this is a funny thing to say. No, it was great. But I was just like, but we should uh, we should clarify, that. disclaim that a little bit. Yeah. Um, huh, back to the turtles. Uh, yeah. And so eventually, like the. They have to round up the monsters so they can open the portal to restore the stone generals to life. And I mean, they, it's pretty uh, standard, yeah, you know, st- standard Skybeam fetch a quest movie plot. Yeah. Uh, you also get the Max, added like we learned that Patrick Stewart, uh, he just wants general. to die. He just yeah. wants to die. That's all he wants in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he also enlists the help of the Foot Clan to help round up the monsters. Yeah. Which is being led by a character that I think is from the comics, whose name yeah, I don't remember. By Karai, who yeah. is a comic book character. And she's voiced by, uh, I think it's Rinko Kikuchi from uh, Babel and a bunch of other things. Yeah, and there, you can definitely tell that uh, that's where they're really teasing the sequel that never materialized. Because the Foot Clan sort of helps the turtles briefly. To defeat all the monsters, and then at the end, it's sort of like they realize the bigger foe is the the stone generals and the monsters. But then at the end, it's sort of like, but next time we see you, we won't be friends. Yeah, dun dun dun. Yeah, which definitely felt like they were uh, implying the the next movie that again we didn't get. So right, um, but yeah, and then it's your standard. There's a sky beam. There's rescuing the monsters, and you know the turtles win. Max Winter gets to die. Yeah. Also, we left out the other, I guess, stunt. I guess this is stunt casting that Kevin Smith voices a character in a diner that is attacked by one of the characters. He's attacked by one of the monsters monsters that does bear a resemblance to the Jersey Devil. Yeah. Which I guess that was the thought is like he's a Jersey Jersey guy. Yeah. Like the thing that like I thought they could have hit harder is that these 13 monsters because like they could have driven home the point even further that these monsters are the basis for a lot of the mythical monsters that we've known and loved throughout like a lot of the cryptids uh that we think of like 
the Yeti, the Jersey Devil, Bigfoot, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and that, that's part of the, the maligning, too, is that 13 is a lot of monsters and the movie itself is not very interested in defining the monsters or spending much time 100%. differentiating them. So they all just kind of run. You had to remind me that it was a Jersey Devil, which I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's right. That makes sense. But because they're all kind of they become forgettable in how like interchangeable. Well, really, they only are. three get even highlighted because there's the one scene with the gargoyle. That's also the Jersey Devil one. Like yeah. that's one or only two, because then there's like the big sort of Yeti gorilla looking monster that leads to the big fight with the four stone generals when they get resurrected. But yeah, it's just they they all become kind of every. Yeah, everyone that really isn't the, the Yeti one kind of feels easily right. forgotten. And and that's just because. Uh, I think they really were counting on the stone generals as their main villains and they were cool, like they were all very like. uh Sort of like Mesoamerican themed where there was a jaguar and an eagle and a monkey and I forget what the la- a snake or something like that. Yeah, something. I think that's, there's, I think there's just a little bit of a vibe of I think TBD was written on a whiteboard to define <laughs> the 13 monsters and they yeah. just never got back around to it. Then they got to him and they're like, what other monster m- character models do we have that we can just throw in? Do oh, that's do- the other thing is, oh, and Leon- Leonardo gets mistaken for one of the monsters because he's not a human. And he they have to first break Leo out and then the scene from the clip and they save the day and then Max Winter gets to die. And that's the movie. Yeah. They should have done a Wolfman. I feel like they should have done, done a Wolfman. Yeah. They should have done a Wolfman and a Frankenstein and a Dracula. I think that would have been good. Yeah, I think this all would have been good. Maybe even yeah, a mummy. You could have thrown a mummy in there. Find a way to do a mummy. Well, look, what we're saying is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Universal Movie Monsters. Yeah, that's, I mean, we want Monster Squad 2, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 5. <laughs> but yeah, think about it. It's perfect because you just do those. We said it. It's the four. So you do, you do a Wolfman, you do a Dracula, you do a Frankenstein, you do uh, a mummy versus the turtles. And, and, and then the- you have the great scene where they pair off. Yeah, because uh. but then you have to. So that's the question. And I think that's what we're here to answer right now, Andy. And I'm putting oh, us on the spot. Is. But let's determine which movie monster is a foil for which turtle. Okay, Donatello Frankenstein science. That's your that's your hook. 100 percent. And I think I think it has to be Dracula Leonardo because they're both the leaders in these groups. I yeah. Think. So um, and then you have I think you go Raphael Wolfman because he's sort of like the angry beastly one. And often Wolfman and Dracula's historically through history have have fought. Have, have the, the Wolfman's and the Dracula's have definitely fought fought. Um, and I mean, it's abundantly clear that the turtle with the biggest nards is Raphael. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So he should fight Wolfman, who we can go on record as saying has nards. And then then you do leave uh, Michelangelo to fight the mummy. But I have I have an answer for this. I've thought about this. So. okay. So mummy, it's it's wrapped up. You know, I think we're on the same page. And and Michelangelo is famously a party dude. So it kind of already looks like uh, the mummy has been TP'd, which is something a party dude Mm. would do. So and also I feel like that, you know, we're already writing a bit of this for you, but I definitely think it somehow involves Michelangelo like TPing, either taking the wrap from the mummy and throwing it somewhere or vice versa. So I love that idea. And I think we can merge it with the idea I had is that (laughs) somehow the mummy fashions nunchucks out of its wrapping and you have a nunchuck fight. 
There you go, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like with it. the mummy wrapping nunchucks and Michelangelo's nunchucks. And um, yeah, so uh, Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, uh, we know you're listening. Yeah. Holler at your boys. We are going to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Universal Monsters. And they, I, we've written the third act already. We just got to get there now. Yeah, I just real quick question too. like the are there weapons made of silver? Like are the the sword? That's the thing they have to do is they have to. So make they uh, Raphael makes new silvered size mm-hmm. to fight the Wolfman. I like uh, it. Leonardo uses uh, wooden katanas to stab him like a stake through the heart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is part of what Donatello, this is part of what Donatello does. Yeah. Right. And then Donatello uh uses a metal bow staff to convert it to an electrode to shock Frankenstein also and like over overload him. Also, can I, can I give away the third act twist? I, I kind of want to save this for the movie when it definitely happens, but I don't know. Do you, our audience is cool, right? I think I can say yeah. this and you guys will keep it. I, you like, guys are cool. You're, yeah. you're, you'll be safe with us. When Frankenstein is defeated, what we find out, his brain that's been operating Frankenstein, Krang. Gold. Oh, boom. Drop the mic. Let's boom. go to lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. actually what's been happening this whole time is Krang. It was Krang the whole time. Yep. Billion dollars. Minimum one billion dollars. Minimum one yeah. billion dollars. One, and we could do it live action. We could do it CGI. Michael Bay will use your turtles. We could make new turtles. I don't give a shit. Any you give us any you give us the turtles from the coming out of our shell tour. And we'll, this this concept is so good that it'll work. So good. <laughs> this is this is maybe Jason goes to court. Good. Oh, man. I mean, and that's our best movie ever. So like that's well, I, it's not change of heart. Good. Oh, uh, well, that's actually our prestige film, though. That's our prestige picture. Definitely. Yeah. Although, Although our prestige picture is lasagna and Cubanos. Uh, you know We're what? Good at this. We really are. Where is our truckload full of money? Anyway. OK. Um, is there <laughs> is there anything else that we need to malign? All right. Um, I just think that like. This movie was a. And I hate to describe this as a CGI action movie geared towards kids to probably sell more toys, but this is a lot of style over substance. And that's, I think, its biggest problem. Yeah. And I also think it's weird. It's style over substance. And then, yeah, like as we were saying with the plot, it's sort of the very cookie cutter giant, you know, global threat kind of thing or whatever. I also just think. I and we'll touch on when we pivot. There's some of the serious stuff I like, but I also think it just lacks some of the fun that you want from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. Like where it at times feels weirdly serious for a CGI film about uh, four mutant turtles. Yeah, there was a little too much like existential dread, yes. for lack of a better word, that yeah. just like I'm all for adult geared animation. Uh, I think it's. It is a me- animation is a medium for all ages, uh, but the Ninja Turtles is not the place to have deep philosophical questions about your place in the universe. Well, it's I mean, I think the concept is inherently silly and was designed to be silly from the beginning. It, it was, was it was a parody comic in the beginning. Well, and that was the thing is that like in the early turtle comics. Um, the parody was how seriously it took such a bananas premise. Right. But I don't think this movie quite accomplishes it doesn't that. thread that needle at all no. yeah and i think if it had done that that maybe would have been the right instinct but it just sort of feels it feels unironically serious 
you know, which is just kind of an odd uh, fit. I think. Yeah, it's it's like. It doesn't go far enough to like be joking about how serious it is. And then it's yeah, it it misses the mark there. But um, other than that, I mean, I'm ready to pivot. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, we we said it at the top, but just to say it once again, this is a fun movie. I like this movie. I enjoy it. Like yeah. I've there like whenever like I like if I'm like scrolling through looking for something to throw on, I've thrown this on a couple of times over the years. Like, oh yeah, this is a movie I can ignore while I'm like grading papers or doing something. And that look, you I'm not gonna definitively say that I might have gotten up and started making dinner like a <laughs> 30 minutes into this <laughs> but uh it, it might theoretically be a good movie to start i've also seen this a number of times so like yeah um, um but it's a good one you know you can kind of step away for a minute or two yeah uh one scene i like there's a lot of really good beats in this movie uh i think michelangelo skateboarding the sewer is a really excellently animated action scene like just like kind of action break that might be the most like that takes the most advantage of the cgi format of like that is fun the way that looks yeah it's a it's a cool scene it has some good like for an inconsequential scene it's a lot of fun um this is maybe a little bit of the liminal space between maligning but like the stone generals looked cool as hell. I kind of wish they were developed more. Um, but that like fight scene in the, uh, construction, uh, yard, like that was a cool scene too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think there's a little like, and again, I think there's so many villains that none of them felt like they were serviced properly, but we've already pivoted. So that's fine. Yeah. Uh. Um, and like, I don't know. I thought, I thought, you know, even though this movie did take itself too seriously, like that scene from the opening clip, like that's a good scene. Yeah. So that scene, I think might be the best scene in the movie, honestly, for me. And I I liked it too, because I don't know if you got this vibe and this came first to be clear, but like, um, I get Batman versus Superman vibes from the whole thing. And some of that is the costume that Raphael has on too, but like, it kind of feels like that, but ba- and it, you feel the weight of these two characters that we like are fighting and they're really fighting. And because it did make me think of that, and it's also in the rain and overly hyper stylized. So there's, you have all those yeah. kind of like Zack Snyder touches, but what I give this to where I actually like that even better than the Batman versus Superman is this movie goes for it in terms of, so the first time when they when he's wearing the suit and Leonardo hasn't figured out who he is yet, Leonardo gets the upper hand, the the helmet comes off, and then he's very uh, shocked to find out that the guy that he just defeated is Raphael. But then once he realizes it's Raphael, he's trying to back down. But Raphael, the, again, the whole like, uh, you, you, oh, yeah, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm better than you. Yeah. I didn't need to be led. Oh. You Baba Ghoul. Yeah, yeah, he's doing all that. So then th- when they fight, he like knocks Leonardo down, he beats the crap out of Leonardo yeah. until he until he doesn't. And well, he's he, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? And well, that's, that's a thing. great moment. That's what I'm saying. Like, he beats the crap out. He has a sigh in his hand. He's on top of Leonardo, who's on his back, sigh like in his fist, ready to essentially give like a killing blow to Leonardo and then has that like. Oh God, <laughs> you know, yeah. like what have I done? And I, 
I do like that. I mean, that's a good. That was a good. That was a good dramatic moment, and it felt real, and it felt earned, and and that's the thing is like I I do think instead like we all make fun of Batman versus Superman for rightfully so for Martha. Why'd you say that name? Why'd you say that name? Because it's silly. It's very silly that the fight stops because they realize their mom has the same. But like the fight stops because you realized you were about to like, murder oh my God, your I'm about friend. To kill my brother. Yeah, like that's. That works. That's a good choice. No, it's, it's, it's a good moment. And it just, it really drives home, you know, like that's, that's one of the like emotional cruxes of the movie. And what, what I like about it too is, so you have that moment and then as we said, Leonardo is then after that mistaken for one of the monsters and he's kidnapped. And so what you have, which is just really solid storytelling is so Raphael has said, you know, we never asked you to be the leader. We don't need you to be our leader. You know, you abandon us, all of that. And then you put it in a situation where Raphael now has to go, oh, damn it. I have to go save Leonardo. Like, I have to, one, be the leader, which he hasn't been doing. That's the thing. When he's saying we don't need Leonardo, but with Leonardo gone, they're not a team anymore. It's not like the three of them have been working together. He's been doing his own thing and the other two stopped crime fighting. And so it's like. I do actually have to lead us to save our leader because I've now realized that we do need him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is good storytelling. That really is. No, it, it really, it really like it, it's satisfied. It's a satisfying narrative arc where people do things. They learn something. They come back changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want. That's, like, that's, that's what you want out of a narrative. Yeah. That's a good, there's a pro screenwriting tip. Do that. Yeah, if if you get the chance to write a screenplay, uh, do that. Or just have uh, Ninja Turtles fight Universal Monsters. Oh, but there's going to be an emotional Oh, arc. there's going to be. But I'm saying, like, we wouldn't need to. Yeah. But we're going to because we're, we're good prof- at our we're, we're professionals. Good. You know? We're good at our job. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Mako is Splinter, I think, deserves a second mention. Because, like... He gives the gravitas that you need out of Splinter. And not to say that, like, Kevin Clash didn't do a decent job in the, the other ones. Um, but, like, it's nice that a Japanese person is doing a Japanese character. Like, that's a good thing. Yes, they're always a good thing. Yeah. And and you get little, like, stuff to the performance that you wouldn't get otherwise. Which, um, it was one of the things, too, that there's, like, a little, like, lullaby that Splinter does at one point that was him. That he that was an actual Japanese lullaby that Mako just started singing in one of the scenes. And you're not going to get that out of somebody that doesn't have that cultural background. Right. So, no, it's it's genius casting. It's a very nice thing. And, and yeah, like, the fact that it's dedicated to him, I think, is the right move. Uh, no, it's really cool. It's he He very well might probably is the best Splinter that we've had. <laughs> A hundred percent. And yeah. I mean, even though like I I have watched the movie that we'll be talking about next week and that's a good splinter. It's not as good, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, like this movie just. When it wants to have fun, it really has fun. Yeah. I also I do want to highlight because it's it's a good gag and I really liked it. The idea that when they're all the band is broken up. The fact that Michelangelo is playing a mascot turtle. So he's a turtle and he's in a foam rubble foam rubber turtle costume. Just that, the head though. Just the head. That's a solid bit. Like it is it is a solid bit. 
Yeah, like just that idea is very funny that he's having to disguise that he actually is a turtle by pretending disguising himself as a turtle. I I love that. And I also it really did get me. uh, I think it might be my favorite joke in the whole movie is they have this moment at the end where Raphael is taking his like crime fighter helmet and he's giving it to Splinter and saying, can you put this on like the mantle with all these other like trophies that we have? Right. And so they do it, and this is very nice. It's sort of him giving up the the, the solo vigilante. He might be the Night Watcher, not the Night Stalker. Yeah, uh, I think he's the Night Watcher. He's not the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. He's the Nightman, uh, and he's the <laughs> the fighter of the day, man. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but he, <laughs> yeah. So he takes his helmet off. It's this very symbolic. I'm now part of the team. I'm not going to be a rogue vig- vigilante on my own. Uh, and they do it. And then Michelangelo comes in with his foam head and is like, yo, can we put this on there, too? Great. Yeah. Uh, another it's. It's more like I think they did it because there were probably some, you know, very detail focused animators, but it made for a great gag, like because Michelangelo drives the Cowabunga Carl van that has the Cowabunga Carl head on the roof. Um, it just made me chuckle when the head deflated so it could get into the garage. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. That was just a, it was like someone's like, wait a minute, that won't fit in the garage. Ha ha. We're doing animation. We can just have it deflate. I also like that. Clearly, it's never really addressed to the movie, but the Cowabunga Carl van is the van from the 80s cartoon. Like it's 100 oh, percent. It's the yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles van that it's they always the, drove it's around. It's the toy they sold. Yeah. 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 It's just repurposed to be. It's the turtle van. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which man, that that was a cool toy to have. It was a cool toy. Yeah, yeah, that Very was satisfying. A, the turtle toys, I I loved my Ninja Turtle toys. No, they were great. Yeah, no, they they really were. Very and I sad. had a bunch of them. Like I I'd, I'd all obviously I had all the turtles. I had Splinter. I had Shredder, Bebop, Rocksteady, the whole crew. Casey Jones. Did you have Baxter? I didn't have Baxter Stockman. Oddly yeah. enough, yeah, that one's tough. I I think I only I had all the turtles in shredder and i had the van but i don't know that i you know i mean we, we were poor we didn't have all that <laughs> like we had a good amount of turtles but i don't think i had the deep roster no, of turtles. I, I did have i mean i had like i said i'd be bopping rocks i had one of like the rock guys oh you know what i might have had the one of those my, my my mom probably got from like a thrift store or something right <laughs> and i had the the usaki yojimbo the rabbit bodyguard guy Oh, I don't think I had that dude. Yeah, there's yeah, just you, a rabbit. Yeah, that yeah. was like a cool. He was just had. He was really. He was like much better articulated than the rest of the turtles. Interesting. Yeah. Um, like could kind of move more. And he's, he's from a different toy line. They just threw him in there. They won't notice. But, although the the Usagi Ojimbo was actually from the comics, and they put him in the TV show. But yeah, they just oh, this is a rabbit. We'll use this. But it, it was like a very different character model than the rest of the toys. Like it just felt like it did kind of feel like a different toy, but it was. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I, I was I was big into the turtles. They were definitely one of my favorite uh, IPs as a child. Yeah, no, for I mean, yeah, you and I are the same age. Like the the turtles, that were everything when we were kids. Like, yeah, I mean, we everyone's kind of says this, but I think that like our like like Gen X millennial cusp generation had some of the best IP with like GI Joe and Transformers and Thundercats and Turtles and all that stuff was. I think superior to whatever the kids like uh, the generation after us had yeah, Power Rangers F off power. We had Voltron. Come yeah. on. And I think like you said, I'm sure everyone feels like that. But I think the advantage that we had uh, being kids in the 1980s 
were that the people creating these cartoons for us were on so much cocaine. And I think that really made them creative. <laughs> and there were no rules about what you could and couldn't market to children. <laughs> I also look, this is, this is a bit of a tangent, but I am to this day haunted by the episode of G.I. Joe where Shipwreck like wakes up in a he's like in a like a, oh God, a yes. suburb he's like in a suburb and he has a wife and it's this very like this is not my beautiful house this is not my beautiful wife he's like he knows something's wrong and he's trying to figure out what happens and then what ends up happening is that his family melts and it's all that is like some a, dark stuff i remember that episode very well it's like this cobra plot and i was so traumatized as a kid by that car what the fuck am i watching like this is terrifying this is the most terrifying thing i've ever seen as a child like up until this point how is this a cartoon yeah it's there was some dark stuff in that gi joe cartoon there um, really was. but anyways Let's let's uh, let's also, bring it up and oh, go ahead. Now that we're doing now that we've 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 turned the corner and for this next hundred, we're doing animated. We should definitely do the G.I. Joe movie because I want to talk about that movie, which has Cobra Commander turning into a literal Cobra. And it has uh, what is it like? Flint is like court martialed. <laughs> No, uh, Captain Falcon, who was created new for the movie. Oh, that's who it is. Uh, yeah, it's like court-martialed. There's a court-martial in the cartoon. Yeah. Um, it's insane. No, that we movie should, we is should just wild. do, like... It might as well do the animated Transformers movie while we're at it. Well, speaking of final performances from people, the, the some of the last work of Orson Welles. I know. Uh I, th I think we might have one of our summer months uh, planned I out. It. I love it. Yeah, we should definitely do wild 80s animated cartoon movies. Maybe we'll do like a My Little Pony movie. And then there's like a really weird Cabbage Patch movie, I think, too. All right, we'll or, or, we'll, or if we can find the garbage pail kit, we shouldn't be planning our future episodes live on the air. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's. So let's bring it back to the turtles. Um, this is a fun movie that I think. So it it missed the mark by more than it should have. Like there should have been follow ups to this. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, I do find it weird, especially when it was like number one the week that it premiered. I think you could have built more movies in this world, and I think you could have made a second movie that course. Like I think the foundation was there, and with a little bit of tonal course correction, you could have made a great second movie. And I think you put Shredder in that second movie, and I think it's great, and I think we all would have loved it. And you have like. uh Ken Watanabe voice Shredder, and then yeah, it's but gold. That's not what happened, Andy. Instead, no. this franchise died, and I heard a rumor that it was replaced with another live-action franchise. And uh, I, I only wish that we had more weeks to explore those films. It's true, but we don't. Nope. So instead, we're gonna end the show. And this month, we've been ending this shows by playing songs from the coming, coming out, out of their of, shells coming out of their shells tour which again we found out last week that josh Coderno went to which is amazing that's awesome uh this is this is one of the hits we're gonna give you one of the like they're all great they're all hit but this is this is the a side right here this is pizza power
Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. Eight. Aid. Aid. Potato Aid. salad marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.